You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points Podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. On his first day in office, President Joe Biden canceled the Keystone XL pipeline project, citing America's prioritization of a clean energy economy. What does the cancellation mean for Canadian oil? And are oil markets in general safe from a repeat of 2020? As the global economy strives for a turnaround, our guest on this episode, Mark DeZormo, senior economist at Scotiabank, makes the connections between some critical commodities and our economic comeback. Hi, Mark. Welcome back to the podcast. It's my pleasure, Greg. Always great to be here. All right. Well, let's begin with the oil markets. Um, 2020, quite tumultuous. What's your outlook right now? And, um, well, are there any fears of, uh, of a repeat of what we saw last year with, with negative pricing? Well, our price outlook for West Texas Intermediate and Brent is one that mirrors global economic conditions. And what that means is that we expect momentum to slow a little bit in the first quarter of this year and then give way to a more meaningful recovery in the ensuing quarters. We had a faster than anticipated rebound late last year in oil prices and the broader economy as well, broader global economy, that was supported by vaccine news that was positive earlier than expected. That led to some momentum. But of course, now we're getting into a situation where COVID cases are, in many cases, rising, elevated, if not rising, in a lot of countries, which has led to new restrictions that we expect will way on global growth and commodities demand in the next quarter. On top of that, there's the question around OPEC policy. And given the recent momentum that we've seen in in oil prices, we feel there's some incentive for states whose budgets are dependent on crude to break compliance and look for opportunities to increase production, which would loosen the market a little bit and, and potentially put downward pressure on prices. But setting aside the uncertainty and the potential weakness in global economic conditions in the next few months, we start to see in Q2 at the beginning of more widespread vaccinations, hopefully second wave curve flattening, reopening of economies around the world. And that's really where we start to see more meaningful price gains and an erosion of that big supply glut that built up in crude markets over the last year. And with respect to potential repeat of negative pricing that we saw last year, our view on this is that conditions are fundamentally different at this point. We have an economy that is not locked down to the extent that it was in the peak first wave period, and growth is expected to pick up over the course of the next couple of months. So the demand side of the market is stronger. We're also not in the midst of an oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia, the world's second and third largest oil producers in the world, nor are tank tops quite as full now as they were during that period. So when we look at the conditions, when we look at the balance of risks with respect to the economic outlook, our view is that the momentum that we've seen in oil prices over the last few months should continue as we progress through 2021. 
Well, when it comes to oil, elephant in the room, at least uh, for in Canada right now, is the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, what are your expectations for the effects on oil production? And, of course, what do you see as the long and short-term effects on the Alberta economy? Well, the cancellation of the pipeline at this stage, it's unclear what impact that will have on pricing of Alberta oil. Alberta oil, of course, over the last few years has had not enough pipeline capacity to be able to get to its primary marginal consumers, meaning refineries in the U.S. Gulf Coast. That lack of pipeline capacity has been something that's weighed on prices quite a bit in Alberta and created a big discount to the West Texas Intermediate benchmark price. Now, even before the pandemic, however, we argued that in order to align the supply of oil coming out of Western Canada with demand for it from refineries in the US, only two of the three major pipeline projects under consideration, Keystone XL and Bridgeline 3 and the Trans Mountain Pipeline Extension were needed. So only two of the three to balance supply and demand by the end of this decade. At this stage, two of those three pipelines are still going ahead. They're still under construction. And as long as they come on into service over the next few years, current projections from us, from the Canadian Energy Regulator, indicate that supply and demand will be able to come into balance and the pricing for Alberta crude oil will be consistent with transportation costs and refinery costs. Now, in terms of the provincial economic impact, this is a multi-billion dollar project that had been expected to generate a significant boost for the Alberta economy. Obviously, the fact that it is no longer going ahead, that has an impact on the growth we can expect coming out of Alberta. To give you a few statistics, the Alberta government estimated that KXL would create about 2,000 construction jobs add $2.4 billion to Canadian GDP, and generate about $30 billion in taxation and royalty revenues over the course of its lifetime. And I will mention that the pipeline's cancellation comes at a challenging time for the Alberta economy. We believe, and most forecasters believe, that it was Alberta's economy was among the hardest hit of any province during 2020, during the pandemic year. And it still has not recovered, I'll point out, from the downturn that began in 2015 following the last oil price correction. Now that said, the government is looking into, it has embraced a number of longer run diversification plans. This includes a focus on investment attraction in other sectors like agriculture, financial services, the technology sector, and the province is also focusing on a number of advantages that it has, including its young and educated population and its status as a low-cost business jurisdiction. So diversification initiatives are being pursued. They should help guard against future downturns to the extent that they come to fruition. But of course, these are longer-run initiatives that will take time to build and ultimately bear fruit. Well, we're still in the midst of... Um a lot of uncertainty. And whenever we're in an environment of uncertainty, the subject of gold always comes up. So I have to ask, uh, how's gold been behaving through throughout this time? And what's your expectation of it going forward? 
Well, gold prices have been fairly steady over the last few months, and we expect them to be certainly quite a bit steadier than they were last year in the midst of all that uncertainty, recently hovering around 1850 USD per ounces, and that's basically in line with our forecast for the next couple of years. Generally, the economic outlook is less uncertain at this point in our view. That's something that we should think should lead to less volatility in the coming months and quarters. That said, uh, it's worth noting that the 1850 price, the annual average that we have penciled in for the next couple of years, would be among the highest in recorded history. And that reflects the fact that you know, things are still uncertain, interest rates are very low, and perhaps most importantly, the Federal Reserve's decision to tolerate stronger inflation is something that we see having the potential to weigh on U.S. real rates and lend more support to gold prices over the medium term. Over to industrial metals, um, copper has been on a bit of a tear. What's behind that? There are a few key factors behind the recent strength in industrial metals like copper and iron ore. I'm going to focus on two. The first is the nature of economic growth in China. And as background, China consumes about half of the world's copper, and iron ore is a key ingredient in its steelmaking process. It's a key ingredient in steelmaking everywhere. Now, China is the only major world economy that is expected to have witnessed growth last year. We're forecasting 2.3% as of last year, similar with the IMF and a number of other international organizations. And we see China growing by over 8% this year versus a global average of in the 5 to 5.5% range as economies reopen. So China's a major consumer, and it has been not only resilient to the economic downturn that many countries witnessed during COVID-19, it's expected to see stronger growth going into the next year. Now, the other important aspect of that growth is that it's being driven significantly by construction and manufacturing activity, which make use of copper and involve producing steel in many cases with support from the fiscal stimulus that's being put in place by the Chinese government to support its recovery. So this lends to a very strong demand side for the red metal. And with the rest of the world expected to recover, reopen increasingly as we progress through the year, that should add to more demand side strength for copper. Now, the other side of the copper story relates to supply concerns among key mining producers in South America. There's a series of work stoppages and production disruptions in 2020 in these key mining regions like Chile and Peru, most of which were related to COVID-19. That contributed to a tight global market as well and more pricing pressure. Of course, the risks of this Continuing our easing now with uh, COVID over the course of this year, we expect to, to start to see the curve flatten and more and more people become vaccinated, reducing the risk of more infections. But still, when you have that combination of strong demand from the number one consumer and fears of insufficient supply to meet that demand, you see price increases, which was really the story last year for industrial metals. Now, going forward, I mentioned the recovery that we expect to increasingly take hold. 
It's also important to note that uh, kind of over the longer run, shift to decarbonization progresses. Copper's use in electric vehicles should make it a hot commodity. That, that shift to decarbonization that so many people are expecting should be something that lends support to the metal on a continued basis going forward, alongside with that uh, stimulus-supported recovering global economy over the next couple of years. That was Mark DeSormo, Senior Economist at Scotiabank. You can now find Scotiabank's Market Points on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And we want to hear from you. Please rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us improve the content we create for you. You'll find more thought-leading content on our website, gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. I'm Greg White. Thanks for listening.